The focus of the preaching this afternoon will be on the Scripture's teaching concerning the Holy Spirit as we summarize that in Article 11 of the Belgic Confession. So if you would turn with me to page 503 of the Belgic Confession or the Book of Praise in which we find the Belgic Confession, then we'll read that short article together. We believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is neither made, created, nor begotten, but He can only be said to proceed from both. In order, He is the third person of the Holy Trinity, of one and the same essence, majesty and glory with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. So far, Article 11. In response to the preaching, we'll sing about the work of the Spirit. Hymn 47, stanzas 1, 2, and 5. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we come this afternoon to the final article in the Belgic Confession about God Himself. We've already confessed the Trinity. We've seen the Bible's teaching on Jesus as the eternal Son of God who is fully God and equal to the Father. And now we come to the particular teaching of the Holy Spirit also as fully God. Father, Son, and Spirit then are three equal persons of equal worth, equal power, and honor existing together as the one only true God. And I think it's fair to say that of these three persons, we tend to know the least about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We have a tendency, I think, to, to call Him it. We have, to, we have to fight against that natural tendency and refer to Him as He. It's natural, I think, for us to conceive of the Spirit as just uh, an impersonal force, or at least that's a tendency we have, just a power. And if His identity is not always so clear in our mind, what about His activity? Do we have a clear idea of what the Holy Spirit actually does? We know that God the Father created all things and maintains all things. We know that God the Son came down to earth and entered into the human race in order to redeem us from our sin by His one sacrifice on the cross. But what is it that the Spirit does? What is His role? We usually can say, I think, that, well, the Spirit lives in our hearts and he, he works faith in our hearts. But once faith is there, then what? Does the Spirit just sit quietly or maybe go back to heaven once faith is generated in our hearts? The answers to these questions lies in understanding the connection between the Spirit and the Son and the Father. 
For the triune God may consist of three persons, but those three persons are always united in their work and in their aim. And to grasp what the Spirit does, we need to know or we need to see how His work is in complete harmony with the Father and the Son. The Spirit is not an independent person, much less independent force, but He is the person of the Trinity who comes to us, proceeding from both the Father and the Son, and He comes to bless us. And so I bring to you this word of the Lord, the gospel of the proceeding spirit. That'll be our theme, the gospel of the proceeding spirit. We'll see that this involves a double procession and a singular focus. Well, Article 11 begins with a carefully worded statement. We believe and confess that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. Notice the verb choice. The Holy Spirit proceeds. This confession will stress this peculiar action a second time in the next sentence. He is neither made nor created nor begotten, but can only be said to proceed from both. And if you were to look at the Athanasian Creed, you'd find the same verb and the Nicene Creed, which we're more familiar with. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So we want to ask, what is all this about? What, what is this proceeding? Why this particular word? Well, the church chose this word very carefully and deliberately because the Bible itself uses this word as we read it in John 15, verse 26. Jesus says, but when the Helper comes, and He's referring to the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, says Jesus. That's different than what the Bible says about God the Son. The Bible tells us that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was begotten from eternity. The Spirit is never described as begotten. The Spirit is not, for example, another Son of the Father. You could imagine that God could exist differently than He does. The Father could have had two sons if He had so desired. But this, this third person, this helper, is in a different relationship to the Father. He is said to proceed. And that's an ongoing activity. He constantly proceeds. You could say He constantly goes forth from the Father. He's not generated. He's not begotten, but He's going forth. It's a constant thing. At the same time, the way the Spirit is described makes it clear that He's, he's not a creature at all. There's something unique in the way that He is described. If you compare this to Genesis 1, where God created the world, then we read there over and again that God spoke and certain things sprung into existence and these things were outside of God. God was not in them. They were something independent of God. He created them. Same when He formed man from the dust of the ground. 
man was something outside of God, something different from God. Nothing in Genesis 1, in fact, nothing in all of Scripture is ever said to go out from or to proceed from God except the Spirit of God. So, again, as we've had before with the Trinity, we're, we're having difficulty wrapping our minds around that. We can't comprehend this totally, but it is something we can rejoice in. The Spirit of God who comes to us, He is fully God. He's fully divine. The one who comes to us and lives in us, the one who gives us faith, He is of God. He proceeds from God. And He's fully a person as well, not just a power. We can see that from the name Jesus gives to Him in John 15. He calls Him the Helper. You could translate that a bit more helpfully as Advocate. An advocate is somebody who speaks up in your defense, and it's, it's got a legal overtone. Jesus says in 16, John 16, verse 8, that the Spirit will convict. So that's a legal thing. He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus says that the Spirit will testify about Jesus. So again, we, as we've seen with the other persons of the Trinity, an impersonal power cannot be an advocate a mere force cannot testify, a mere force cannot convict, but a person can. A person has character, a person has identity. And in chapter 16 of John, Jesus also describes the Spirit as the Spirit of truth, who will guide you into all truth. Again, that's a description of a personal being someone who has personality, someone who knows the truth and who can serve as guide to others into the truth. This personhood of the Spirit comes out also in what Jesus says in Matthew 12, which we read, namely that the Spirit can be blasphemed. He talks there about the sin against the Holy Spirit. He warns the Pharisees, everybody, not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. He says, blasphemy against the Son can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit can never be forgiven. Now, some other time we'll, we'll talk about what the blasphemy against the Spirit is all about, but I want you to notice how Jesus lines up the two of them, the Son and the Spirit, as two equal figures, equal persons within the Godhead. And when it comes to the, the idea or the ability uh, to blaspheme, only the divine can be blasphemed. Only God can be blasphemed. So, in a roundabout way, Christ is teaching us to think about the Son and the Spirit as divine persons equal to the Father who can be blasphemed. You must not do that. You can blaspheme Father, Son, and Spirit. So, what does this all amount to for us? Well, brothers and sisters, the implications are fairly significant, for it means that when, when God sends to us His Spirit, He's sending to us Himself. He not only sends His Spirit to us, but He sends His Spirit to live inside of us. So you and I don't just have a divine power 
close to us or inside of us, but we have a personal God. We have the one only God, Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling within us. Where the Spirit is, there is also the Father and the Son. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but He, he doesn't leave the Father and the Son behind either. Where the Spirit goes, the Father and Son go. They together remain one God. You can't have the Spirit in you and not have the Son and the Father with you and in you. Let's compare this for a moment to a very popular philosophy that exists in our day among unbelievers. The philosophy goes like this. Every human being, doesn't matter who you are, has a spark of the divine within you. Everybody's got this spark of the divine. All you have to do is, is somehow reach inside of yourself into your heart and, and tap into the spark of the divine, tap into its potential, tap into its power, and you can exercise that power and, and life will turn out good for you. That's the philosophy of many in our age. Now, that's all rubbish, of course. There is no spark of the divine in any human. But even if that were the case, does that not pale in comparison to the actual reality, to the truth of the Bible? A true child of God doesn't have a little spark of the divine in him or her, not just a fraction of the deity, not, not a touch of the transcendent. No, you and I actually have God within us, the one true holy God who created the heaven and the earth. He resides in our bodies. It's one of the miracles of the Christian faith. We have the Father, Son, and Spirit with us, in us, at all times, not as a, a spark of some kind to be exploited for our personal benefit, but as a God, the God, to be loved, God to be enjoyed in fellowship and harmony, a God who comforts us and guides us into all the truth, a God who communicates Himself to us in love and joy and peace. So the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son comes to bring us the Father and Son to fellowship with Him. You see, that's the gospel of the what's called the double procession. Maybe you notice that emphasis coming out in Article 11, just as it does in the Nicene and Athanasian creeds, that the Spirit proceeds not just from the Father, but equally from the Son. A double procession. The confession makes this clear because, again, the Bible teaches this. The Spirit doesn't only come forth from the Father and not only from the Son, but from both. I want to just highlight that for you from the Gospel of John. Maybe if you've got your Bibles, you could, you could just turn with me there to see it for yourself. We'll start in John 14, verse 26. John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, there's the Father, 
He'll send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, on the one hand, the Father does the sending. Now turn to chapter 15, verse 26. Still the Lord Jesus speaking. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So it's clear that Jesus will also do the sending, but in such a way that the Spirit remains sent from the Father at the same time. So Father and Son, they, they cooperate in sending forth the Holy Spirit. Peter the Apostle speaks that way at Acts 2, verse 33, explaining to the crowds what's gone on on that Pentecost day. He says about Jesus being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the picture we get is this. Once the Lord Jesus has ascended to heaven, He's back in glory. Then He does something. He, on behalf of the Father, He pours out. He sends forth the Holy Spirit with the end result that the Son and the Spirit are both equally responsible for and, and they both are said to send forth and so the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son a double procession. And this is good news, not just speculative theology or, or unimportant theology, but it's good news because the Spirit brings to us all the riches of both the Father and the Son. The Spirit of God is our connection to the Father and the Son. We know that the Son, Jesus, is in heaven, right? He's there with His human nature, with His human body at the right hand of His Father. We know that the Father is in heaven. That's where His official residences in the glories of heaven, surrounded by countless angels, surrounded by the saints, even as we know that His presence exists everywhere, as we sang from Psalm 139. Yet the official and the, the glorious presence of the Father is there in heaven, not on earth. Yet, by the sending forth of the, His very Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, in this deep but incomprehensible manner, we receive into ourselves, into our souls, into our bodies, we receive all three persons of the Trinity. As I said earlier, if we have the Spirit, we have the Father and the Son, plus all the blessings that they each have promised us. So the Holy Spirit that resides in us is, is not some anonymous spirit, much less an impersonal power, but He is fully God who communicates to us all the benefits earned by the Son and granted to us by the Father. In fact, it's all those benefits earned by the Son that the Holy Spirit specializes in. For as much as the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, He has a, a very singular aim and purpose. His aim and task is not to bring attention to Himself, so the Spirit is not there to glorify Himself, but it's to draw all the attention to Jesus. His task is not to impart revelation for revelation's sake, 
but his task is to impart revelation and to come to God's people and illumine our hearts for the sole purpose of glorifying the Son, Jesus Christ. And again, the Lord Jesus is clear about that. I'm going back to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26, and we, we read that verse already once, but it has more relevance for us. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you, here it comes, all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then in chapter 15, verse 26, the Spirit will bear witness about me. Then go to chapter 16, verse 13. Christ says it even more explicitly. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. And here is the big important line. He will glorify Me, that's Christ, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take from what is Mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit does not have His own ministry exalting His own name or bringing His own gospel. The Holy Spirit has a very singular focus, and that is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. That's what He's on about. The Bible teaches everywhere that Christ is in the center, the center of attention, the center of glory, the center of our salvation, and the Spirit shines a light on Him like a floodlight, right? If you have a floodlight in, at your home, the floodlight casts a light on the house and it shows the, the, the beautiful architecture of your home, but it's not casting a light on itself. The floodlight you never see. It's buried in the grass somewhere or in the garden, but you see what the floodlight is shining attention on, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's like that floodlight. And it makes sense, right? I think of the various teachings of the Bible. It's Jesus and not the Spirit who's been given the name that is above all names. It is Jesus who ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of His Father. It is Christ who first came down to earth and did that tremendous work of suffering and dying on the cross to save us. And it is Christ Jesus who now rules supreme from the throne above. It is not at all that the Spirit is inferior to the Son or the Father, but the Spirit and the Father, they desire and they work together to shine the light on the Lamb of God to bring glory to the Savior of the world. It's their will to have Jesus in the center, the name that is above all names. And this is where some of the problems arise in those churches that do not link the work of the Spirit tightly to the glory of the Son. It already started more than a thousand years ago in the Eastern Orthodox Church. In the Middle Ages, the, the church was, was united up until the, the 1000s. But in that the first 1,000 years after Christ ascended, the, the church over time started to develop kind of two poles or two identities. There was the church in the east and there was the church in the west. And it wasn't long before a, a kind of rivalry developed between the bishop of Rome, later called the Pope, there in the west, and the bishop of Constantinople, 
today known as Istanbul in the east. And perhaps you might know that the historic controversy between those, these two bishops and between these two churches, they came to a head in this very doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The eastern churches, Constantinople, they said, and they were very determined about this, that the Spirit proceeded only from the Father and not from the Son. While the Western churches insisted, no, Scripture says He proceeds from both. And it became such a contentious issue that in the year 1054, East and West became permanently separated, and it is still that way to this day. But there was a result of this doctrine. This disconnection of the Holy Spirit from the work of the Son in the Eastern Orthodox Church led to a, a whole area of, of what's called mysticism. They developed mystical thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit. They think of the Father's work in the Spirit as something separate from the Father's work in the Son. That means that while they certainly believe in Jesus Christ, the Eastern, Eastern Orthodox also believe that God chooses to reveal Himself apart from Jesus Christ and apart from the body of Christ, the church, that He's got a separate revelation through the line of the Holy Spirit separate from Jesus. Now you can imagine how that would open up a lot of speculation as to what exactly the Holy Spirit is revealing, a lot of personal subjective ideas as to what the Holy Spirit might have said to an individual or to a group and how God might be directing people or persons through His Spirit. And again, this is that, that concept of mysticism. It looms large in the Eastern Orthodox Church. But it hasn't stayed there. It came in to the West through the rise of Pentecostal churches, and we know more about them. They arose in, the, in North America in, in about 125 years ago or so, Pentecostal and, and charismatic theology, they teach that the Holy Spirit has been sent by Christ to play a way bigger role than He's been playing for the previous 2,000 years. They teach that the Holy Spirit has been neglected, that the, that the Holy Spirit should be called upon to fill believers with the ability to do what He did in the book of Acts, that believers would be able to speak in tongues, foreign languages, that the believers would be uh, filled with the ability to heal and do miracles just like was done in the beginning of the early church. So the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, they, they do everything they can to, to highlight the work of the Spirit. The Spirit needs more work or more attention, they say. We need to tap into the power of the Spirit. We need to live Pentecostal lives, they say. Well, what shall we make of all that? It certainly is biblical to pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit. No problem there. But the same Bible that shows us the Spirit reveals to us that the more we understand the work of the Holy Spirit, the more we'll be busy looking at Jesus. He's the floodlight. John 14, 15, 16. That's the Spirit's work. He's pointing all fingers and all attention to Jesus. Jesus said it. He, the Spirit, will glorify me. He will take 
what is mine and declare it to you. John 16, verse 14. So Christ has sent the Spirit to fill His people, not so they could focus their attention on the Spirit, but so they could focus their attention on Jesus. The Spirit has come to impart to us the benefits that Jesus won. Jesus paid for our sin, reconciled us with the Father. The Spirit causes us to believe that message and delivers to us the assurance, the peace in our hearts that we truly are forgiven. It was Jesus who created that peace between us and God, and the Spirit comes to impress that upon our hearts. In fact, the very presence of the Spirit of God with us is the great proof that God is no longer angry with us on account of our sin. It's the great proof that the work of Jesus has been accepted by the Father. Just have to think about what happened in the Garden of Eden. How things went back in the beginning. You remember that it started off a very wonderful paradise, right? God would come to walk with His son and daughter, Adam and Eve. He would commune with them. He would walk with them in harmony. But when we sinned in our first father, Adam, that all fell apart. We could no longer exist with God anymore. There was no longer peace there anymore. We had to be evicted out of the Garden of Eden because the holy God and sinners cannot cohabitate, can't live together. So sinners have been apart from God for all these years until Jesus came. And when Jesus came and covered our offense by His blood and paid for our guilt, then and only then could God come back to the earth and live with man. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's doing that by residing in our bodies. We have the beginning of the return to the Garden of Eden right now with the Spirit in us. He's bringing to us the fruit of Jesus' great work. And just think about all the commands that Jesus gave to the church before He left the earth. Think of what He commanded and what He didn't command. Jesus did not command the church to go out and speak in tongues. No, the command was speak the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. And that's what the Spirit has come to help the church do. Jesus didn't commission the church to go out and heal diseases throughout the world. No, the, the permanent command was go and make disciples of all nations. And again, the Spirit is with us, helping us do that very thing. We're raising up disciples in this congregation. We're helping to spread the gospel so that disciples can be found from outside the congregation. All the tongue speaking that we find in Acts and the miracle working and the healing of diseases, those were signs. Signs of the day, of the time. Why signs? Because there was a transition. Every time you find a transition from one era to another in the Bible, think of the time when Moses, God led, through Moses led the Israelites into the land of Canaan, out of Egypt into Canaan. There were lots of signs. Manna in the desert, water from a rock. Those didn't get repeated ad nauseum throughout history. Those were special for the time of transition. Same with tongue speaking. Same with disease healing. Same with the other kinds of signs. The signs were not the main or the lasting thing. 
the great work, the permanent work of the Spirit is to make God's elect disciples of Christ. He's making us to be Christians, followers not of the Spirit. We're not called Spiritians. We're called Christians, followers of Christ. He's making us to be obedient to our commander in heaven, to reflect the image of Christ more and more. The Spirit is turning our attention to the promises of God and the commands of Jesus our Lord. The Spirit is comforting us with the constant reminder that the blood of Christ covers all our guilt, and the Spirit strengthens us to fight the good fight against any false doctrine or false way of living any lifestyle that does not come out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit is at work to help us fight against those things? Do we all understand that well enough? Are we seeking the power and the help of the Spirit to do what Christ commanded us to do and daily take up our cross hoist it on our shoulder, and follow Jesus. That's who we follow. You and I, brothers and sisters, we have God with us. We have the Spirit of God so close right in our bodies. Do we understand, do we believe that He is more powerful than any drug or any desire that might lead us into sin? What is the attraction that pulls at you? What, what sin or addiction may be eating away at you? What temptation seems to always be there that you can't get away from its power? What enemy is lining up to attack you unjustly? Whatever it is, get on your knees and pray for the power of the Spirit to go to work and pray again for the power of the Spirit of Christ to deliver you from bondage to those sinful impulses for every such battle truly belongs to the Lord as we saw this morning. This is the good news. This is the gospel of the double procession and the singular focus. God the Spirit is with you. He's come to you. To you, all you who believe in Jesus Christ, He is with you. He's come to give you what the Son purchased for you. What did He purchase for you? He purchased freedom. Freedom from guilt, from all your sins, yes, but more, freedom from the practice, the power of sin, the habit of sin, from the enslaving grip of sin. He's come to save you from that too. Accept these gifts. Embrace the presence of the Spirit in your life and live joyfully as God's free children. Amen.